G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. As the eyes of the world focus on the latest flood of calamities, the most urgent may not be the most visible to the average person. Yet it is a growing menace that could ravage Western civilization. For decades, we have seen an erosion of Christian values, but today we are experiencing a world gone mad. The lessening influence of Christianity, the resistance to the guardrails of biblical morality, are all producing growing decadence and cultural disintegration. Christ followers are being edged out of cultural and political influence, attacks coming from seemingly all sides, from within the church and from the outside. Cultural norms are shifting, erosion of civilization is accelerating. What can we do in a world hostile to Christianity? Join us now for a special Leading the Way presentation, This Present Crisis, with Dr. Michael Yusuf. Hello, and welcome to this special edition of Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. You know, 2020 presented some very unique challenges, to say the least, and no one in the entire world escaped those challenges. This present crisis is still with us. It's more than a global pandemic, though. It's personal. It's sort of a rapid erosion of the values that define us, the values that form the boundaries that hold our society together. And at the very heart of it is the decline of the influence of the Christian church. Dr. Michael Youssef, pastor, author, and also sociologist, how do you put your finger on just how to define this time of crisis in the world? The crisis is the crisis of truth. And when you have a crisis of truth, you're going to end up in falsehood. And that's no wonder the the Satan, who is the father of lies, appears as an angel of light. And so the truth is what matters. And the truth is what I'm calling people to believe and espouse and proclaim in their own life and the life of their families. The pandemic is like uh, putting the tea bag in the hot water. It just made it obvious, made it brought it to the forefront. But it's been building up. It's been building up ever since the 60s, where the motto was, trust your feelings. Mm. And slowly but surely, we have departed from thinking, from uh, rigorous thought, to, well, how you feel? We don't ask people anymore, what do you think? We say, how do you feel about it? And with that, we have abandoned the very moral foundation upon which Western civilization is built. We're seeing the nibbles Mm. at the Christianity and at Western civilization, and there's this cancel culture that's really risen quickly. Sure. How do you define that, and how do Christians work against it? Can we? Even back in the days of Jesse Jackson in California, they had this big demonstration, hey, hey, Western Sev has to go. Because Western civilization is what they were studying in the universities. And that is the subject. After these demonstrations back in the uh, 70s and 80s, they're gone. 
There's no Western civilization courses now in many a university because they want to cancel that culture that has the Judeo-Christian doctrine, ethics as its foundation. That's what Mao Zedong did in China. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Just erase the truth of history. Yes, and that's what they're working on right now. Now, we realize that there are dark spots in history. Every country and every part of the world, they all have dark parts of their history. You don't go and destroy that part as if it didn't exist. No, you keep it alive so that you learn the lessons from it as you move forward. Tearing down statues and tearing down uh, even some statues of good people. Tearing all that down, destroying what is the foundation of Western civilization and Western culture is not going to produce any good. It's only going to produce darkness. And I believe with all my heart, if we keep going that way, we're going to plunge in another medieval dark times unless God intervenes. But so much of it, Michael, is just sort of underlying, quiet words and phrases are changed. It's um, food inequity, not hunger, little things that that seem very innocent. There's nothing really wrong with that or or food instability instead of hunger. It's it's small. It's little. How can we be aware? And even Black Lives Matter. Does Black Lives Matter? You better believe Black Lives Matter. Does White Lives Matter? You better believe White Lives Matter. Every life matters. But when you say black lives matter, now, admittedly, we had a very horrible sight mm. in Minneapolis. Nobody would disagree with that. But let's prosecute this person to the full, to. George Floyd. Let's prosecute this person to the full extent of the law. Don't blame a whole race of people over it. But that is where Marxism comes in. Marxism was based on a, a theory by Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, where it says, Everything in life is made of thesis and antithesis. And what, in order to achieve what you want to achieve, you got to put a division and you create a division in the mind, as even the mind is made of thesis and antithesis. Society is thesis and antithesis. So you create that division and you keep hammering it away, hammer away, hammer away, until you separate them and then you get a destruction. And when you get the destruction, you build the utopian society, according to Marx and Engels' philosophy. And so they are basically copying this Marxist ideology of destroying culture as we know it, so we can build a utopia where everybody loves everybody and everybody's equal. Well, it's never happened, and it never will happen, because we are sinful people, we're born with sin, We act on that sin. We have not only the root of sin with which we are born, but we have the fruit of sin that we commit. And therefore, the only thing that can change individuals, families, and society is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ can change a heart from hate to love, from racism to being colorblind. And to change a heart can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. It will not happen by looting and by destroying and by trying to destroy culture in order to rebuild it with this utopian idea which does not exist. Never existed anywhere. But unfortunately, we don't learn from history. Mm. We, the Christians, we, the church, supposed to take care of the poor, not the government. 
and the government basically has for thousands of years want to usurp the role of the church. And that's what they're doing. And that's what's happening. And unless we stop it dead in its tracks, it's going to literally be the flood that's going to drown us all. We can look at Hitler. We can look at Soviet Union, communism there. There's no room for Jesus. There's no room for Christianity. So is that where it starts? It starts by tearing down Christianity so that there's room for this Marxist communist philosophy? Absolutely. Or the other way around? Well, yes, because when you take away the light, what are you going to get? It's mm. darkness. No matter who it is, it's be darkness. And this so-called post-truth culture, it's actually now— a, Define a, that. It's, it's in People the dictionary. People hear you say that. What does that mean, post-truth it's, it's culture? It's in the dictionary now. I mean, Oxford has post-truth culture. Wow. That is, no longer there is absolute truth that is non-negotiable. That your truth and my truth and history, this is post-truth culture. That we all have our own truth. And when we do— we're going to be killing each other. Well, how do I know what your truth is and how can it coexist with my truth? It won't be able to coexist. They might say it, it can and it should, but it won't. That's just a fact because they, they really fail to take into account the fallenness of the human nature. Only those who understand the original sin and the sin that rebelled against the Creator God will understand where we are. If you undermine original sin, and say, we are so good, people are good. I mean, that's basically what the Humanist Manifesto said, man is good. The Swedish Humanist Manifesto said, man is very good. So when you start there, then you have no basis for which you can deal with each other. And chaos will, will reign, and the strongest is going to be dominant over the weak. We saw an image not long ago, months ago, of a man on top of a church in England, literally trying to rip the cross off the church. I think a lot of people yeah, saw, saw that, that. I saw it. And yep. just kind of went, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But it seems like that's almost uh, a visual yeah. of what's really happening. It's exactly, it's exactly what happened. This Muslim young man went up and took the cross off a church in the past. So, well, you know, we just need to love him and we don't need to put the cross in case it offends him. And see, we start with, uh, we don't want to offend anybody. So we remove the crosses from our church buildings. Today, most modern churches have no crosses anywhere because they don't want to offend anybody. They want to be seeker-friendly. Well, the Bible said no one seeks after God, but God is the one who seeks after us. And you want to be a seeker-friendly, you better invite Jesus to take over your church. <laughs> invite Jesus to take over your life. And otherwise... When these crosses are gone, because the cross is a symbol, and the cross says that I'm a sinner, I'm heading for hell, and I need a Savior. And that Savior came from heaven, died on that cross, and rose again. But I want to save myself. I'm the captain of my ship. I am going to be in charge of my life. I mean, look at the abortion. It's not murder. It's personal choice. It's, con it's control of my body. And once you change these definitions— all of a sudden, life has been devalued, and we're back in the dark ages. What can we do to get back to truth? It's not lost. I know you. I know the way you think. No. This is the problem. What is the solution? Well, if I believe us all is lost, I wouldn't be sitting here exactly. today. I wouldn't be standing in that pulpit Sunday after Sunday, uh, pouring my heart out. But because I believe in hope, and the hope is in Christ alone, it's because of that hope that I literally cannot wait to wake up in the morning. 
because I want to proclaim that hope. Yes, it's dark. Yes, it's miserable. Yes, it's getting worse. But there's also hope. And I want whatever time I've got left in my life to uphold Jesus as the only hope for the world. And I ask people to turn to him and he alone, because he is the one who said, when I am lifted up, I would draw men to myself. I don't have to beat people over the head and say, hey, you know, believe in Jesus. No, I lift up Jesus and he will draw people to himself. Uh, my son Jonathan was preaching not long ago and he was saying that God's patience is until all his elect are come to the kingdom and then the end will come. And I really believe that God has got, look today we're having thousands, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of Muslims coming to Christ. And while hundreds of thousands of people in the churches in the West departing from Christ, all the fake Christians or the, the, the pretend Christians, now they don't pretend, they need to pretend anymore. And they going back into, some of them are redefining Christianity to suit their purposes in order to ease their burning conscience. But that's like a sprinkler on a burning fire, raging fire. It's not going to work. And so the hope is Christ. And Christ alone, and not the church, not denomination, not the pope, not bishops, not pastors, not anybody else, only Christ. And that's where the hope is. And I challenge every pastor to lift up Christ, not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation. And if we, the pastors, begin to take seriously the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to see the change happen. How do non-believers discern, they're hearing different voices that call themselves Christian, Cacophony. how do they discern who is yeah. Jesus really? Is it what this guy says he is, or is it who this guy says he is? That's exactly right. That's a good, good question, because the only Jesus that you need to know is the Jesus in the Bible. You go to the scripture, and you read the gospel of John, I mean, through the years, we had the radical Jesus, the conservative Jesus, this Jesus and that Jesus, the black Jesus, the white Jesus. But these are Jesus is made by people. It's not the Jesus, the Son of God, who eternally coexisted with the Father before all world, who laid down the splendor, not his divinity, but the splendor of his divinity. And he became God-man, fully man, fully God, in order to die on that cross, a sinless holy, righteous God in order to redeem and save and forgive every sinner who repents and turns to him. See, that's the only Jesus that Paul said, any other gospel other than this gospel, let them be an anathema, let them be cursed. And so many people who are twisting the word of God for their own purposes, they will be cursed one day, they will face a judgment one day, and it's going to be so severe, I don't want to be anywhere near them. Christians that are questioning, is my pastor actually preaching the truth or not? You're saying to them, go to the Bible. Exactly. The Bible said the Bereans were more noble than the others. Why? Because they said they searched the Scripture. They went in there and they checked. They looked at the Old Testament and all what the Old Testament said about Jesus, and then they went back to Paul and said, you're right. That's exactly what the Bible said about Jesus, the Jesus you're preaching, and they believed it. And so 
I want the noble people out there to go and read the scripture for themselves. Start with the Gospel of John. See what Jesus claimed about himself, who he is. And then get serious about believing in him, trusting in him, repenting of your sins so he may forgive you eternally and give you peace with God. Well, there is hope in this present crisis. In fact, that is the title of your newest book. And in that book, Michael, you say that ours is the generation that must make this choice. How? How can we decide to rescue our culture from what seems like seemingly inevitable collapse? Well, we as individual believers can because one person can make the difference. I'm convinced of that. You look at the scriptures. It was never a committee. And, you know, we used to have all these large gatherings, big stadium and stuff. That's fine. But you look, one man, even though he was initially disobedient, Jonah, but finally when he obeyed and went to Nineveh, he saved the whole nation. And I can go down the, the scripture, you know, one after another after another. It takes one person. And you see it throughout Christendom, throughout the Christian history. One man called of God to go to China, established the church, and today over 100 million Christian Chinese. And so it takes one person, one woman, one man, and to be committed and believe, not just say, oh, yeah, I believe I sent to these doctrines. No, 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 no. When you believe, you got to prove that you believe it, that you act as if you believe it. You live as you believe it. It takes one person. You offer seven steps in this book. Seven's not an arbitrary number, I'm sure. Of course. Number one is remember the truth. First thing we've got to do. That's right. As we talked about the post-truth culture, that is really probably the primary core of the problem, cultural problem that we have, is that absolute truth is now non-existent. Nobody believes it. Even some people in pulpits say, well, there's no uh, absolute truth. And so when that goes, everything else goes with it. And so we need to go back to the truth and believe the truth, practice the truth, live the truth. You also talk about families. Reestablish the classroom and also the family is a big part of this. Absolutely. I'm doing a series currently on the 21st century because this is the vision of our church for the decade of the 20s is we say transferring the whole truth because we can transfer a little bit of truth, transferring the whole truth to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And we're doing this on all levels of the church, from children to all the adults' ministries that we have. And uh, I I am saying that basically three-legged stool, the family, the school, and the church. Now, if the school fails, at least you got two legs, Mm -hmm. the family and the church. But if you have one of those two failed, then these people up the creek without a paddle. And so we need the church, the family, and the schools if possible to work together in order to bring a next generation to believe the truth. Because without that, I don't know. Uh, I remember one time in the early days when God was speaking to me about forming the Church of the Apostles, birthing the church. And my kids were going to a, a traditionally used to be a Christian school but almost anti-Christian. And then we were in a church, and I was having the opportunity to minister, but I was a volunteer. I wasn't on staff. 
And then there's a change in that church, and a group of pastors came and said, ah, our kids in Sunday school giving Jesus too much airtime in the church. And the Lord began to convict me. He said, you know, with this three-legged thing, as if you lost the school, now you got the church working against you. You only have the home. Now, God's grace would have overruled, but I believe that this is God used that kind of argument to get me to go ahead, get off my blessed assurance and birth the church of the apostles, even for, for nothing else, for my own children. So they have a godly environment with other godly kids to grow up together, and they have. Revive the church. Yeah. How do we do that? And I know you're calling on individuals for this. How do we as individuals revive the church? I think the pastors who have departed from the truth for the sake of compromising out of fear of losing their job or losing members, they need to repent. That's the very first line of defense in the church. If the pastors repent and begin to proclaim the whole counsel of God and begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ uncompromised, unmolested, I think this is the beginning. Once you do that, a revival will take place in the church. But if the pastors are preaching falsehoods or a compromised, watered-down gospel, then I used to have a friend who went to be with the Lord. He used to say, as goes the pulpit, so goes the pew. Mm. And as goes the pew, so goes society. And this is where you start. So you start with the pulpit. And, and I'm always welcoming opportunities when pastors' conference invite me to speak. I go, and despite the fact that I don't like to leave home, but I do go because I want to challenge pastors. You're going to have an audience of one. What are you going to say to Jesus? I, you know, I was popular. People liked me. Or I've preached the truth. And that is really, to me, I'm hammering away at this because I believe with all my heart. This is where young pastors are just starting out. Start preaching the Word of God. Don't worry what people think. God, if He honors you, the people will honor you. I encourage people to get this book, Hope in This Present Crisis. You do address the crisis, and you do offer hope. Amen. Amen. Thank Michael you. Youssef, thank you thank so you much. much. The name of the book, again, is Hope for This Present Crisis, and you can be an agent of change right where God put you, and not later, but right now. And this book will help you learn just how to lovingly and persuasively communicate God's message to a broken world. What you've heard today is just scratching the surface of what can be found in Dr. Yusuf's brand new book, Hope for This Present Crisis. I'm confident you'll find the content encouraging as you face the challenging days in which we're living today. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together today. Do join us again next time, won't you? This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. Learn more at ltw.org. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.